What's up, everybody? How we doing? Love to hear it. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Jordan. I'm on staff here. And our staff team last week was in Ames, Iowa. Uh, go Cyclones. For, uh, yeah, had to, had to give a plug. Uh, we were in Ames for, uh, like, staff training within the salt company. And this wasn't, like, planned or prompted. But uh, just wanted to let you guys know, like, what the Lord was doing in me last week. So I was sitting... Uh, out on a patio on Welch Ave uh, in Ames, which those of you who know Ames know that that is like prime party scene of Ames, Iowa. And I was sitting on the patio, and I had this just crazy realization, okay? I'm sitting on this patio, and I look at a block of pavement on the sidewalk, and I had this almost out-of-body experience that was like, I could see my sophomore in college self, obliterated drunk, chasing the way of the world and completely empty. And I started weeping. Like, honestly, that, that was not long ago. 2011, 2012, like 11, 12 years ago. Like, that is insane. And I'm sitting there weeping because here's what's true. Though many students at Iowa State have come to say, Jesus is Lord, there's still like 30,000 that haven't. And my heart broke once again for the city of Ames, and, and honestly, my heart started to break more for this room, uh, more for this city, more for our campuses, to say the reality is, I called myself a Christian then. You know, I, I called myself a Christian whenever I would go home, I would go to church with my family, but... I really didn't want Jesus. He was a tag onto my life, and I was empty. Uh, and the reality is, by the grace of God in 2013, he saved me not because of how great I was or how, how much I cleaned up my act, but because of how much he loved me, his mercy for me. And so I just want you to know, like, I'm so encouraged you're in the room tonight. Uh, you're a, a step ahead of me <laughs> where I was on Welch Ave, and I just... Yeah, I want you to know I've been praying for you. I want you to be fully satisfied in Jesus because the ways of the world will never satisfy you. Uh, take it from a 31-year-old man who has tried everything that you're searching after and was left empty. Um, so my prayer tonight is that you would leave satisfied in Jesus. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. We're continuing our summer series called Summer of... Sweet. Joy. Uh, we're here to fight for your joy. And it's not just us here at Salt Company... We serve a God that offers you joy. And in John 15, he told his disciples, you know, I have said these things that my joy would be in you and your joy would be full. And so we all want joy. Uh, the reality is joy comes from Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you will always be searching for more. So before we dig into Philippians, I just have a quick question for you. Have you ever done the right thing for the wrong reason? The reality is you have. <laughs> and some of you might have been like, yeah, maybe that was tonight. Like, I'm here hearing about the Bible, getting an opportunity to, like, worship the living God. But really, the only reason I'm here is because you had free food. And I'm like, yeah, sweet. Like, I'm glad you're here. Uh, but the reality is we get to worship God. <laughs> like, wow, that's a much bigger thing than eating a free brat. Like, this is a big deal. I know that you've done the right thing for the wrong reason because uh, you're an adult, and that means you've been a kid at one point. And when I was a kid, I think about several things that I did right for the wrong reason. 
Here's, a, here's an example. I always knew when I was about to ask my parents for something like big or important, whether it was like weekend trip with the guys, you know, or like way before then, my friend asked me to spend the night at their house and I'm like, oh, I think my parents might say no. So what did I do? I like did the dishes, you know, really cleaned up my room, sucked up to my parents, like said all the right things. And then like a day later, I was like, oh, by the way, uh, Kyle asked me if I could spend the night at his house. What do you think? And they're like, Jordan, you've done such a great job, you know, cleaning your room, taking care of yourself. I didn't do it because I loved my parents and I wanted to do the right thing. I did it because I wanted the right thing for me, right? Um, and this is not just a child thing. I figured this out later on in life, how frequently we do the right thing for the wrong reason. I have a friend who uh, here in Cedar Rapids has just really encouraged me to grow in generosity. Uh, you know, and he said one thing that he and his wife started doing financially is when they would go out to eat, though they don't eat out frequently, he said, we have started to make it a practice to leave a generous tip. But here's what you need to do if you're going to do that. If you're going to leave a generous tip, you have to leave before the waitress sees you. And I was like, that sounds interesting. So uh, my wife and I did it uh, one time, right? And it sounds so easy in practice. Like, you know, you just pull out some cash, set it on the table, and then you leave the restaurant and you drive away. And your, like, lingering thought is, I wish I could have seen her face. You know, because the reality is we want something back from that, not our money back necessarily, but we want a form of like self-gratification. We want to see a smile on somebody's face. We want to see their day made. And when you don't get that, it's like, was that still worth it? Like, did I still do the right thing? And so these last two weeks, we've been in Philippians 2, and you guys might remember if you've been around, we're talking about this character trait of humility. Right? Philippians 2 opens up and talks about uh, this, this command. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's what humility is. It's like, I'm going to die to myself so that other people can flourish. It says it this way, looking not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's humility. And then we get this example of Jesus. Just read that over us. It's like, look to Jesus, who, though he was God, came as a human being, as a baby in a manger. He put on flesh, was a servant, and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So you get this example of Christ, and then last week, we kind of get this charge, like, work out your salvation. Be a light in the darkness. Uh, but the, the real problem is, it's possible for us to practice acts of humility with selfish motivations. Like, on the outside, to do the humble thing without a humble heart, right? Where you're going to look to serve somebody, you're going to seek to, like, stoop below, give away. But the reality is you want to feel better, don't you? Like, you want a sense of pride or accomplishment, like, oh, I finally did it. I finally died to myself and served somebody else. Or maybe you want to look better. Like, you want somebody to notice you, you want a thank you, a pat on the back, or maybe a step beyond that, and it's like, I serve them, maybe sometime down the road, they'll serve me back, you're like waiting for a payback, and it's just this sad but true reality that we are oftentimes so wrapped up in ourselves that even with something like humility, 
which at its very root is meant to be dying to yourself, you can practice an active humility for selfish motivations. And so the question is, if we want to practice humility, not just like externally, but get it right in our heart, what should our motivation be? Like, what, where should our focus go if we say, hey, I want to practice humility, not just externally, but with the right heart. And so what we're asking tonight is, how do we model humility for the right reason? Not just externally, but how do we model humility for the right reason? So we're going to be in Philippians 2. Uh, there's 12 verses. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read them over us. They'll be on the screen. And I want us to just observe a few things together, and, and hopefully we'll answer this question. How do we model humility uh, with the right reason? So Philippians 2, starting in verse 19, I'll read it over us, and we'll look at it together. So the Word of God says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him. Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord, with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So you guys might remember Philippians is, in many ways, Paul writing to the church in Philippi, this ministry support letter. Here's what's happened. He is imprisoned in Rome. He's kind of like waiting to see what's going to happen with his trial. And the church in Philippi says, hey, this dude needs money to like keep advancing the gospel, keep the gospel going forward. So here's what they couldn't do. They couldn't just Venmo Paul, right? He's not sitting in his prison cell checking his Venmo account to be like, yo, is Philippi going to own up or not? No, they had to send literal money with a literal man who had to walk all the way to Paul. His name is Epaphroditus. His name is mentioned in this text tonight. So they send Epaphroditus. And now Paul is writing back to them to say, thank you for your gift. Thank you for supporting me in ministry. And also, I want to give you an update on how I'm doing, not just so that you know how I'm doing, but I want to encourage you. I want to like spur on your spiritual maturity. But something unique is really happening in Philippians 2. And you probably don't catch it because it's just in the flow of another letter in the Bible and honestly, the first time I read it, I completely skipped over it. But I want us to see something together. This is important for those of us who want to read our Bibles and better understand what am I reading here. So this section, 12 verses, is what's called a travel log. Paul is essentially communicating to who he's writing to, 
hey, I'm going to give you a little bit of like a ministry update that relates to partners in ministry that are either coming to me or going from me. I'm kind of just like giving you the update on who's going where and where they're coming from, where they're going to. But almost every other time Paul gives a travel log is at the end of a letter. So I'm going to just show you a few of these. Let's look at them together. Ephesians 6. Here's what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. So that you also may know how I'm doing and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. That's in Ephesians 6. Does anybody know how many chapters are in Ephesians? Six. Good answer. Okay. Colossians 4. Uh, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. All right, how many chapters are in Colossians? Four. Okay, this is not a trick question. All right, last one. Uh, Titus 3. When I sent Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. How many chapters are in Titus? Three. Yeah, you get it. Okay. We are in Philippians chapter two. How many chapters are in Philippians? Four. Not two. This is not the end of the letter. And so that has to make us perk our ears up when we read our Bible and say, why is Paul placing this travelogue in the middle of his letter. If almost every other time it's at the end, why is he now writing this in the middle? Something has to be going on. There has to be more than just giving a travel update. And though it's never explicitly mentioned, here's what Paul is wanting the Philippian church to do. He is wanting them to look at these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and not just learn about where they're going to or where they're coming from. He wants them to imitate their character. He is providing them as an example of what he has just spent the last 18 verses talking about. Humility, working out your salvation, being a light in the darkness. He's like, here are two prime examples for you. And here's what's true. Timothy and Epaphroditus, are they perfect examples? No, they are not Jesus. Like, Jesus is the perfect example. He's already talked about Jesus as the perfect example of humility. But we need somebody like Timothy and Epaphroditus in our life. Like, if people just say, hey, just be humble like Jesus. It's like, oh, yeah. Like, the man who was fully man and fully God, right. That's really possible, isn't it? <laughs> but if someone's like, hey, what would it look like if you modeled humility like somebody like Timothy. I'll give you a, a quick story from my life. So this will shock all of you, I know. My freshman year of high school, I weighed 98 pounds. Uh, I ran cross country because I was too small for football. And the reality is, I was really insecure in how small I was. And I wanted to like lift weights and get big. And so I started watching the strongman competitions. Okay. Those are outrageous. These dudes are lifting like 1,000-pound balls off the ground. And I'm like, I weigh 98 pounds. How am I going to do that? It was very unattainable. But I watched these strong men or would like look up bodybuilders on the internet. And I was like, wow, like what would it look like to have muscle mass like that? But I was like, I'm just little old me, right? I'm 98-pound Jordan Howell. 
I couldn't weigh 100 pounds soaking wet. But then something happened, all right? There's this guy who is a year older than me. Uh, his nickname is Poopy. That's important. It's actually not. Um, but, but Poopy uh, started to lift weights, okay? And he went from a 152-pounder in wrestling to a 189-pounder in one year. He put on like 40 pounds of mass. And I was like, hold up here. I don't need to be the bodybuilder. I don't need to be in the strongman competitions. But if Poopy can put on 40 pounds, I think I stand a chance. Like, there's something about it. When I see somebody who is very much like me doing it, I'm like, oh, okay, I think this is attainable. And so... Paul is now giving not just Christ as an example, though he's our ultimate example. He's saying, here's two men who you know, and they are very ordinary people. They are a lot like you. Like Timothy was there when the church in Philippi was planted. They knew Timothy. He wasn't some spiritual superhero. They're just like, oh yeah, Timothy. Or Epaphroditus. They sent Epaphroditus to Paul. He's just one of them. He's one of the homies. And Paul is saying, hey, if these, two, if these two guys can live out Christ-like humility, follow their example. It's now attainable to us. And so I want us to look here and say, how are these two men living out the humility of Christ? Or how are they modeling the character of Christ? So I want us to look back again. We're going to look at Timothy first in Philippians 2, verses 19 through 24. So Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that, I shortly, that shortly I myself will come also. So what is Timothy doing here? We see Two ways that Timothy himself is showing this Christ-like humility. The first is that he has genuine concern for the Philippians' welfare. You see that in verse 20. Like, he is saying, I am willing to leave my father in the faith. Like, Paul was his spiritual father. And he's saying, I'm willing to leave like my spiritual father figure to go to the church in Philippi in order that I could just encourage them and spur them on to maturity. But also, you see that he's not looking to his own interests, right? We talked about that earlier, Philippians 2, right at the very beginning of the passage. Do not look to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. And here in this text, we see that Timothy is not seeking his own interest. He is seeking the interest of Jesus Christ. And it's like, how is he seeking the interest of Jesus Christ? Well, number one, he's serving the church. He's serving the church in Philippi. He's saying, I want to go and I want to encourage the church, but also he's serving Paul. Like Paul as his spiritual father is saying, man, I hope to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. This is a missionary who is in jail. And Timothy's foot is forward to say, I'm going to leave somebody who's super influential to me to go to Philippi, get a report, and bring it back so I can just give joy to Paul. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, he is clearly setting aside his own interests for the sake of the mission of Christ. 
Now, what about Epaphroditus? Verses 25 through 30. Paul says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I too shall have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here's two ways that Epaphroditus is living out this Christ-like humility. The first is actually hilarious, okay? You have to see this. Verse 26, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So, here's what's happening. Paul is sick to death. Like, literally, he is about to die. And you know what he's thinking about? The people, in church, the people at the church in Philippi are so worried about me. Like, I, I, my heart just longs for them because they are so worried that I'm sick to the point of death. That is hilarious. Like, it's actually kind of annoying. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this. Um, I know I have. My wife got her wisdom teeth out shortly after we moved to Cedar Rapids. I thought I was going to be trophy husband, you know, like take a couple days off work, take care of my wife, get her whatever she needs. Well, I take her to uh, the oral surgeon, sit there and wait. She gets her wisdom teeth out. I drive her home, and within like a minute of being home, she pulls the gauze packs out of her mouth, and I pass out. I like, boo, I dropped in the kitchen. And, and she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, stop it. I'm supposed to be taking care of you. Like, leave me alone. But my wife is here living out this Christ-like humility. Like, I'm here trying to take care of her, but I go down. And the moment I go down, she's, she's more concerned about me, though she's the one that just had a surgery, right? That's what's happening here. Like, Epaphroditus is sick to death, and he is not thinking about how he's sick to death. He's thinking about how the church in Philippi is concerned about him. Pretty wild. But much more than that, here's, here's how he most embodies Philippians 2. It says that he nearly died. Why? He nearly died for the work of Christ. He nearly died for the work of Christ. He left the comfort of Philippi to go and minister to Paul to take this financial gift in order that the, that the gospel would advance he left the comfort of home and nearly died to advance the mission of Christ. Why would he do that? Like, that seems crazy. To, to place your own life at risk for the sake of a mission, like one mission? Well, if you know the gospel, you know why this makes total sense. Because Jesus did not just nearly die for the work of Christ, right? He did not merely come in human flesh to set an example for us. Jesus did not just embody humility in life to show us how to be nicer people, right? Jesus embodied humility to the point of death in order that we, he would make us saved people. Jesus left the comfort of heaven. The Son of God left heaven to come to earth 
crossing the great divide so that you could be reconciled to God. And so, of course, like our only appropriate response as people who have encountered this great God who has stepped from heaven down to earth, put on flesh, and not just lived with perfect humility, but has died in humility to ransom us back to God, we're like, yeah, if you want to invite me into telling more people that you've done that, I will risk it all. I am willing to die if that means that more people get to know God. It just makes sense. That's why, yes, it's, it's shocking when we read something like this. It's like most of us will not even give up a smartphone to obey Jesus. And this guy's like, I will give up my life to follow Jesus. But it's not shocking because this theme is seen all throughout Scripture. So, two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, clear examples of men who embody humility for the right reason. And they don't do it to be seen. They don't do it to feel better about themselves. They do it to advance the mission. You could say, in, you know, from verse 30, they died for the work, he nearly died for the work of Christ. That's why this entire relationship trio exists is because of mission. And so you want to know how to keep your motives pure. You could say it this way. Model the character of Christ in in order to advance the mission of Christ. So as you practice these acts of humility, it's not just like, I want to act in humility to look a certain way or to feel a certain way. I want to act in humility to actually serve Jesus. I want to act in humility to help others grow in their knowledge of Jesus, in their love for Jesus, in their obedience to Jesus. That is the point of humility. And here's what's true, Salt Company. Jesus was willing to die. Joyfully. We've talked about that a couple times. He was willing to die so that we could experience life, joy, peace, and purpose in him. And now what he's inviting us to do, he's like, hey, you've encountered me. Here's what you get to do. You get to risk it all. Like, you get to die to yourself freely. You don't have to think about what it looks like or how you feel. You can die to yourself so that other people can experience life, joy, peace, and purpose in him. And so, you take a text like this that looks like a travel log update, and it's like, man, this is about a lot more than who's coming from where and where they're going to. We have real application that comes from this text tonight. And the first is this, you're invited to belong. You're invited to belong to God. And you cannot be obedient to this text. You cannot model the character of Christ if you don't belong to Christ. You cannot advance the mission of Christ if you do not belong to Christ. And the best news of belonging is that you don't have to be the one that takes the first step. The best news of belonging is that God has already made the first step. He did that 2,000 years ago in the person work of Christ. He already has died in your place, and now the invitation is, are you willing to stop working for your salvation? And are you willing to trust that he has already done everything that's necessary for you to belong to him? So, number one, belong. But if you're like, Jordan, I already do belong to Jesus, and I'm like, great. I have two other things that from this text are pretty clear how we can respond. The first is just to consider. uh, To consider how we can embody this seek-to-serve mindset. It's just a change in our mindset, really, to say, man, I want to seek to serve. 
I want to be like Timothy and Epaphroditus. You know, I want to be willing to serve and sacrifice for the mission of Christ this week. And so one way that you can do this is think about your time, your talents, and your treasures. Your time, very obvious. You know what it means? Your time. (laughs) Your schedule. Like, how can you sacrifice some of your schedule to advance the mission of Christ? Your talents, the ways that you're gifted, things that you're really good at. Like, how does the Lord want to use your talents to advance the mission of Christ? Or lastly, your treasure, your money, and your possessions. Like, there is an invite for us to say, hey, let's die to self-indulgence to sacrifice and serve other people so that they can encounter God. Maybe you just need to consider, how can I seek to serve this week? But lastly, and I love this one, is to honor. You know, I love that Paul tells the church in Philippi, when Epaphroditus comes to you, here's what I want you to do. Receive him with joy and honor such men. All that honoring is doing is calling out God's grace in other people's life. It's not celebrating how great of a person they are. It's celebrating how much God has done in them. And so on one hand, we might say, hey, I need to grow in being like Timothy and Epaphroditus, but I think a lot of us in this room really need to grow in being like Paul. (laughs) who's writing this letter, and simply be willing to formally call out people that have modeled this for you. People who you have watched, maybe up close or from a distance, serve and sacrifice to advance the mission of Christ, just to pour a little gas on their fire and say, I just want you to know how I've seen God's grace in your life, and it has really grown me. You know, the only place in the Bible we're called to compete in anything is Romans 12. And it's this, outdo one another in showing honor. Whoa, that's awesome. Anybody in here with a competitive spirit? Okay. Hey, that's not a mistake. Like, the problem is you've used it for really selfish reasons to push yourself up. But God has created you with a competitive spirit so that you would be obedient to Romans 12. And that you would outdo other people in showing honor. Meaning, no one is going to talk more about God's grace in other people's life than you. So maybe we need to embrace an outdo and honor mindset this week. And here's what would happen, Salt Company, if we start to live this out. If we start to, hey, we want to belong to Jesus, we want to seek to serve, we want to outdo and honor. This is what's going to be true of our ministry. Um, I love Salt Company. I hope you know that. Uh, I love working with Salt Company. I love belonging to a Salt Company in my time at Iowa State. Um, but one thing that can bother me sometimes is when people say, you know, Salt Company has really great community, or Salt Company has really nice people, and those aren't bad things in and of themselves, but people can find great community and nice people outside the church. I would much rather people say of our ministry, not just, oh, they have great community or they have nice people, but they would say, I encountered the living God there. I knew what it was like to experience the kindness of Christ because of the way people treated me. Wouldn't that be a better narrative if people are like, tell me about Salt Company? And people, rather than saying, a lot of nice people really get great community, they would say, I encountered God there. I knew what it was like to be loved by the person work of Christ. And that's what it would look like if we lived this out. And again, this isn't so that people would step back and they would say, wow, Salt Company's really great, or Veritas Church is really great. It's in our mission statement, right? 
We want to glorify God. It's all about his name. It's not so people say, look how great Salt Company is. Look how great their connection group is. We want them to say, look how great our God is. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, I just thank you. Um, Thank you for Philippians 2. What a sweet text, God, that has just ministered to me so much over the last week. Thank you for just the reality, God, that you know us and our human weakness. And though you set Christ before us as the perfect example, you know how crippling that can be uh, to just feel inadequate and to fold under the longing for perfection. And so you were kind to give the church in Philippi and to give people like us, Timothy and Epaphroditus, ordinary men who knew Jesus and wanted to just embody obedience. And so, God, I pray that you would give each heart in this room, number one, belonging. Help us to trust, Jesus, that you died for us so that we do not have to earn our way to you. But from that place, I pray that you would give us a seek-to-serve mindset, one that joyfully puts other people before us so that we can advance the mission of Christ, but also that we would have an outdo-and-honor mindset, that you would help us call out your grace in other people's lives so that they would keep going, that they would keep serving and keep sacrificing, Jesus, that your name would be glorified. Tonight, tomorrow, this week, in our city, on our campuses, and to the ends of the earth, Jesus, because you deserve to be worshiped. We pray this in your name. Amen.